When I sat down for a hockey game at Amelie Arena just a few weeks ago, prepared to see the Tampa Bay Lightning face off against the Buffalo Sabres, I had no idea I was literally seated under a Tesla coil until it began firing off lightning directly over my head. I'm not joking. I hadn't been to the Tampa Bay Lightning's home stadium in who knows how long, over a decade at least, and since then I've actually worked for the Tampa Bay Lightning's affiliate team, the Orlando Solar Bears, who play here in Orlando at the Amway Arena. I've actually become a fan of the Lightning's rival, the Florida Panthers. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> if you're a Lightning fan and you're mad that I'm a Panthers fan, just remember how the playoffs went last year. The Lightning beat the crap out of the Panthers, and hopefully it'll go differently. And also, the Lightning have won back-to-back -back Stanley Cups, in case you did not know. In the 2019-2020 season, the Lightning won, and in the 2020 and 2021 season, the Lightning won again. They won back-to-back -back Stanley Cups, and this past season that ended just earlier this previous spring, they went back to the Stanley Cup only to lose to the Colorado Avalanche. They have won three Stanley Cups, two of which in the last three years. So it's a pretty good time to be a fan of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And let me tell you, that is reflected in being in this stadium. There were Sabres fans. I was wearing a shirt that said, let's go Buffalo. I love the Sabres and the Bills because that's where my father's side of the family is from. So I was rooting for the away team. And, you know, I was expecting a little bit of hostility, but everybody was so nice except for one lady who kind of tried to scare me, but I just was a big brave boy and I kept walking. <laughs> but it was so exciting to be there. It was just filled with people all the way up. I mean, this is a massive stadium and everywhere you look, all the way up, people are seated to watch this game. People knew the right calls and responses for the game. People were cheering people's names in specific ways. I mean, hockey is unlike any other sport because it is indoors and it's just so passionate it's so active and loud and intense and gosh i had such a good time at this game despite the fact that the team i was rooting for lost but the lightning put on one hell of a performance and like i said there was literally lightning bolts over my head like i was looking up and there was a tesla coil firing lightning bolts off of it Trust me, if you haven't seen it in person, it's unlike anything. You cannot imagine it. It's unbelievable and so much fun. It changes the entire ecosystem around you when there is truly lightning going off. Plus, it doesn't help that the lightning have this song Thunderstruck by ACDC on their side. And let me tell you, that song does its job. It gets me fired up and I wasn't even rooting for the lightning. If you want to see a hockey game, in person. If you've never seen one before, I cannot recommend enough going to check out a Tampa Bay Lightning home game because Amelie Arena is beautiful and the Lightning put on one hell of a show. I had a great time for my first NHL game in a couple of years and I am eager to return, hopefully when my Panthers make it to town and maybe it goes a little bit different for my Panthers this time. But Amelie wasn't actually always the home of the Tampa Bay Lightning. No, while the now-beloved arena was being built, the Lightning needed a place to play, and there happened to already be an indoor sporting event location in Tampa waiting for them. Well, actually not in Tampa. Actually, it's in St. Pete, which is a sporting controversy that still boggles people's minds to this day. Now, back in the early days of the Tampa Bay Lightning, a field that was built for baseball was actually filled with ice. And what is now called Tropicana Field in St. Pete was known then as the Thunderdome. 
Hey folks, I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, the Thunderdome, the past, present, and future of Tropicana Field, and how the Tampa Bay Lightning briefly brought ice to the iconic field. Before we get into the story, I, I gotta be honest with you, I had never heard this story. I've been going to the Trop my whole life, we're gonna talk about that in a second, and I love hockey and, and baseball and all these stories around Tampa sports, but I'd never heard this story until a company called Allegiant Goods uh, started making a t-shirt that featured the Thunderdome. They make a lot of great t-shirts that feature local arenas and, and old Florida teams, and they made one about the Thunderdome, so I just wanted to give a shout out to them because I would not have heard of the Thunderdome if it wasn't for this t-shirt that they made. So I was very interested in what they were talking about and that led me down the rabbit hole to making this story and so I'm very glad to share it with you today. We have to go to a different sporting event now. Uh, another one that I attended and another one where I rooted for the away team. I rooted against Tampa. I'm sorry to my Tampa friends. <laughs> a few months ago at the beginning of September, I made my second visit of the year to the home of the Tampa Bay Rays, Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg, Florida. If you've listened to this show for a long time, you know that while I love the city of Tampa and my friends from Tampa, I'm somehow not a fan of any of the major sports teams based in that city. In fact, when it comes to baseball, I'm a New York Yankees fan, meaning the Tampa Bay Rays are actually a rival of sorts to my team. They play each other constantly throughout the season, which is great for me because that means that throughout the year, the Yankees come to Tampa and I get to see my guys, even though I'm technically in enemy territory. That is why I wound up in Tropicana Field for my second time that year. The first was May 28th, and my second visit was September 3rd. On September 3rd, I actually got to witness some baseball history. Aaron Judge is an outfielder for the New York Yankees, and he was on a chase this season to break the American League home run record. The record previously was set at 61 homers in one season by Roger Maris, another Yankee, in 1961. Judge was on pace to break that record, and on September 3rd, he knocked another home run out of the park, his 52nd of the year. I witnessed it with my own two eyes, and I cheered so hard that I gave myself a headache. <laughs> the Yankees would lose that game, but the home run was so amazing, and getting to see it myself, getting to see this part of history, it meant a lot to me. He would go on to achieve the goal that he was chasing in that game. Aaron Judge now holds the new American League home run record with 62. Thank you very much. He also won the American League's most valuable player just last week. My Yankees didn't make it to the World Series, but it was still a historic season, and I got to witness some of that history within Tropicana Field right here in Florida. I've mentioned it before on this show, but I grew up going to the Trop. It's a complicated stadium for a lot of reasons. It's an indoor stadium, of course, since it's in Florida. The other Florida baseball stadium where the Miami Marlins play is also indoors. Other stadiums have roofs that can be closed, they can retract, but not here in Florida. It's too hot for the long summer months when baseball is played, so we have to make domes. We're going to need the air conditioning. But baseballs themselves get hit really high in the air sometimes, and there are literally ground rules about the catwalks within the trap. Say a baseball gets hit really high and knocks up against those rafters that are all the way up there, there are literally rules written about what that means. 
if it's, if it's still in play, if it's a foul ball, if it's whatever. It changes based on where it hits within the stadium. It's kind of ridiculous. And don't even get me started on the touch tank where you can touch real rays up close. Like, literally, you can touch the animal. It's in the center field seats. Look it up. But the years have not been kind to the trap, and the paint on the cement gets a little crustier each season. And its location has raised many complaints as well. Folks complain that the Tampa Bay Rays play at Tropicana Field, which is located in St. Pete. They say that because it's in St. Pete, that doesn't quite make it a Tampa team. But I will be a little pedantic here and remind you that they're called the Tampa Bay Rays, and St. Pete is actually along Tampa Bay. They aren't called the Tampa Rays. They're the Tampa Bay Rays. Therefore, the complaint doesn't track. I digress. I've made my point. Your Honor, I, I, I give up the rest of my time. Anyway, folks want the stadium a little closer to its siblings. Raymond James Stadium, where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play football, that's in Tampa. And Amelie Arena, where the Lightning play hockey, that's like literally a few steps from downtown Tampa. When I was last there, I got to go to my favorite pizza place and was back at the arena in 10 minutes. And to make matters worse, ever since the Rays lost in the World Series to the Los Angeles Dodgers in the pandemic-shortened 2020 MLB season, the Rays have been dealing with an even greater threat, the threat of their team being moved. While the team has considered options that would keep them in Tampa, possibly a new stadium or a renovation of the Trop, there was also discussion of the Rays playing a few games in Montreal, with the possibility of a jump to Montreal looming on the horizon. There's no future set, the debate is not over, but Tampa loves their baseball team, and also, I would like for there to still be a team in Tampa because I'd get to see my Yankees, so maybe, just maybe, there's a way for us to keep making baseball history together along Tampa Bay. But history actually came to the Trop long before a single pitch was thrown, long before it was even called the Trop. To explore how the Trop got started back about two names earlier, we have to go back to 1983. With the coming of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the 1970s, Tampa clearly was trying to make a name for itself as a major sports city. That would take some effort and, of course, more major leagues than just the Bucks and their soccer team, the Rowdies. Well, a stadium needed to be built and a team needed to make a name for themselves there, so it was agreed that a domed baseball stadium was the next step. I've read several sources that say that apparently one plan was to try and snag a franchise that already existed, notably the Chicago White Sox, who were dealing with the same kind of stadium issues back at that time as the Rays are dealing with now. The White Sox stayed in their stadium in Chicago, and the Dome did not have a team that actually was going to be in it when it was built. So the stadium was fully built, but nobody was inside of it. It was called the Florida Suncoast Dome back then, and even though it was built to be a baseball stadium, the Rays didn't play a game in there until eight years after it was built. Call me naive, but that, that's kind of hard for me to believe. I have always imagined that you build a stadium for a team. Like The fact that this great structure was built for the possibility that maybe, just maybe, there would be a baseball team... I don't know, it was nearly a decade before a game was played there. That's kind of remarkable to me. I mean, talk about if you build it, they will come. It just took them a little bit longer, I guess, in Tampa. But here's the thing. Despite the Rays taking a few years to find their way into the Trop, the Trop wasn't just sitting there vacant. Far from it. Here is a clip from the National Hockey League as they celebrated their centennial back in 2017 that explains a little bit of what the Trop was before it was the Trop. 
the expansion Tampa Bay Lightning joined the NHL for the 1992-93 season. After playing their inaugural year in the league's smallest arena, they temporarily moved into the Thunderdome. Originally built for baseball but modified for hockey, the Thunderdome more than doubled the Lightning's previous home capacity. And on April 23, 1996, they set an NHL attendance record. We'll get there in a moment. Now, as they mentioned in that video, the Tampa Bay Lightning held their very first games in a location called the Expo Hall at the Florida State Fairgrounds. If you've gone to the Florida State Fair, you've certainly wandered into the Expo Hall. I haven't seen it in any format other than the way it is during the fair, which is when it's filled with mattresses and fudge, just people selling random stuff. But if you've ever been inside the expo and you can you can look to the walls and see that there are seats along the wall, well, it is actually a great venue apparently for playing hockey. It's not exactly a stadium. Photos and videos of it from the time make it look more like a college game, a lot smaller, more like a square box. But the thing that I find remarkable is that while it's not a great venue for a hockey game maybe when you look at it the fans of the lightning even in those early days are ravenous for tampa bay hockey i mean they were filling up this place and it was clear to the ownership pretty quickly that a bigger venue needed to be found they were going to build an arena for certain but they needed somewhere right now they had just gotten started and the team already within its first year at expo hall was already outpacing expectations even in those early years before we leave Expo Hall, let's let's talk about how the Lightning actually came to be and what those first few games were like. A brief diversion from sports to talk about nature, as is my way. Florida is the lightning capital of the world. The National Lightning Data Network tracks the amount of lightning strikes in a state or an area per year. In 2020, after years of Florida holding the title, the unbelievable happened. Oklahoma took the title from us. They, too, see lots and lots of lightning per year, but in 2021, we regained our title because we, quote, averaged 223 lightning events per square mile for the whole year, end quote. It's been part of our identity for generations now, and interestingly, the area in Florida that seems to have the most lightning, well, it's somewhere between Orlando and Tampa. But in the early 90s, when hockey was coming to Tampa Bay, what better name for their team than the lightning? The NHL was expanding back then, adding more teams, and Tampa was gunning to join the party. They won the opportunity in 1990 and set about assembling the best team they could. They brought in a Stanley Cup winning player as the coach, a man named Terry Crisp, who won two Stanley Cups as a player with the Philadelphia Flyers, and had just coached the Calgary Flames to the Stanley Cup the year before. If you're starting a new team, you need someone who can bring success, and clearly, Coach Crisp was a great starting ground. They assembled their players and prepared to join up in 1992. Preseason got started and the Lightning took the ice for the first time, and they casually made a bit of history doing it. See, the preseason team had a unique player on it. Her name was Manon Rayom. That's M-A-N-O-N-R-H-E-A-U-M-E. Born in Quebec, Manon was a goalkeeper who was only 20 years old when she signed a contract with the Tampa Bay Lightning. When she was invited to the training camp for the Lightning, she had already made a name for herself after, quote, she had helped Canada win gold at the 1992 Women's World Championships, end quote. And in the preseason, as the Lightning were preparing for their first season as a team, Manon suited up. 
Quote, she played one period of an exhibition for Tampa Bay against St. Louis on September 23rd, 1992, becoming the first and still only woman to suit up for an NHL game. End quote. About this historic accomplishment, Rayom says, quote, I just happened to stumble into it. End quote. Some of the best history is just stumbled into, but I hope someday Manon isn't the only woman to battle it out on the ice in the NHL. She herself had an amazing career after this moment. She'd win silver for Canada at the 1998 Olympics and gold again in 94 for Canada at the Women's Championship. She also played in minor league hockey for many, many years, and now she is in the player development department for the Los Angeles Kings, still making an impact on the league all these years later. But she got her very first start in the NHL, that very first season for the Tampa Bay Lightning right here in the old Expo Hall. So the next time that you're at the Florida State Fairground and you're buying yourself a bag of fudge or picking up a lottery ticket, remember that Manon made history right where you stand. Just about two weeks later, on October 7th, the Tampa Bay Lightning had their first matchup as a squad in Expo Hall in Tampa against the Chicago Blackhawks. They started their existence as a franchise with a bang. They won their very first game 7-3 with four of their seven goals scored by just one guy, a Canadian named Chris Contos. In hockey, there's a term called a hat trick, which is when one player scores three goals in one game. Usually that is followed up by everybody in the stands throwing their hats onto the ice, a pretty great tradition that I've not yet to see with my own eyes, but I would love to one day. Contos did it and then some. He scored four goals, not just three, on opening night in Expo Hall getting the continuously historic Tampa Bay Lightning off to a proper start. That season, however, failed to maintain the power that Contos got them started with, and by the end of the season, their record was 23-54-7. In hockey, if you don't know, they track three types of game results, wins, losses, and losses in overtime. Those still get you a point because you made it to overtime in the first place, but you still lost. It's complicated. So the first Lightning team only won 23 games. Not exactly an exciting start, but nonetheless, that fan base was growing, and with the Suncoast Dome sitting empty, well, it was only logical. The Expo Hall had been lovely, but the Thunderdome was the future. The organization would leave the Expo Hall after the first 92-93 season, and starting in the 93-94 season, they would play all of their home games at a venue that was once called the Florida Suncoast Dome, but now, with the lightning inside, they decided to rebrand it the Thunderdome. I found some articles from the Tampa Bay Times from this era that I'd like to share with you because I adore the way the Thunderdome was discussed back in the day. In a hilarious column from writer Thomas French on August 5th, 1993, the title of the Thunderdome is praised for bringing some much-needed excitement to the city. French lambasts the original title of the building, the Florida Suncoast Dome, and speaks nothing but praise for the new title the Thunderdome. Most importantly, he suggests that they not call it the St. Petersburg Thunderdome or the Pinellas Thunderdome. French suggests that they keep it just the Thunderdome, short and sweet. And I have to agree. Imagine being asked where you're headed for the night. Oh me, I'm headed to the Thunderdome. Thomas French suggests that not only is Thunderdome a better name, it's also easier to chant, which, let me tell you, is very important. <laughs> Having things to chant is such a part of sports culture, if you are unaware. It is very easy to chant Thunderdome. Thunderdome. That, that is what French points out. He writes it out, and I, you can't help but imagine thousands, thousands of people chanting it. French also says, quote, Thunderdome is such a cool name, a name that promises so much excitement, we'll never have to advertise where it's from, end quote. 
Having a title like that matters. And when you're trying to get a team on its feet, nothing is finer than an iconic name that evokes battle for the approaching team. Now, if you've ever been to the Trop today, you know that the seats go really, really far up. I mean, an arena built for hockey is usually rectangular to accommodate the rectangular ice, but the Suncoast Dome was circular with a lot of ground there in the middle. Way too much ground for a regulation hockey rink. So they had to build it smaller, they had to put the ice in the middle, and then fill in that surrounding area with bleacher seats, and then there were people sitting up beyond that, like literally all the way up. A forward from the team named Brian Bradley said in a piece for the NHL that that the stands were unlike anything he'd ever seen in hockey. Hockey arenas stack up pretty high, and they don't quite spread out like baseball or football stadiums. With folks spread out as far as they were, all the photos from the venue make it look like they were playing in like the Coliseum or something, with folks a mile away from the game, but just as engaged as if they were on the ice behind the glass. I love seeing photos of people who were sitting way, way back, like literally at the top. (laughs) The picture I'm posting for today's episode on the Instagram is my favorite image from all the ones I've collected. It's two people in lightning jerseys, like a mile away from the ice, but they are cheering just one second away from completing a two-handed high five. It is a great moment, and it didn't matter how far up they were. The Thunderdome was rattling with excitement when the lightning played at home. And that was never more true than in their very first night in their new stadium, in their home opener in 1993, their first game in the Thunderdome. The Lightning played against their cross-state rivals, the Florida Panthers, my team. The reason the Lightning moved from Expo Hall to the Thunderdome in the first place was to accommodate the growing crowd, and that gamble paid off. Due to the size of the Thunderdome, more people could fit in, and that night, October 9th, 1993, the Lightning set the NHL attendance record, 27,227 Lightning fans surged into the Thunderdome to see them lose to the Panthers 2-0. I will not gloat. I will be a fair winner, even though I was not alive when this game was played. Either way, it was clear. The Thunderdome proved the prediction true. The Lightning needed their own stadium proper. Over the following years, the Lightning continued to play in St. Pete while across the bay, ground was broken on their future home arena. On April 19, 1994, construction began on what was then going to be called the Ice Palace. Nowadays, we call it the Amelie Arena, and I have to say, moving from the Thunderdome to the Ice Palace, not quite as cool. It took two years to finish, and the Lightning kept playing in a baseball stadium. During all that construction, the next few seasons weren't exactly flashy. They finished with losing records until the 1995-1996 season, when they finally broke their way into the playoffs. They were the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, the lowest seed you could be and still be in the playoffs, and they had to battle the number one seed, the Philadelphia Flyers. But they'd made it to the playoffs, and Lightning fans were ecstatic. They played their first two games in Philadelphia, and then for games three and four, they came home. They won one game in Philadelphia and lost the other, so the series was tied in their first game in the Thunderdome. And in the first ever home playoff game in franchise history, the Lightning won in overtime, five to four. It was the largest postseason crowd in NHL history, 25,945 people. Not as much as their first home game from a few years earlier, but 
guess what? With the Lightning now leading that series two games to one, in game four, the Lightning fans filled the Thunderdome and broke that initial record from 93 and their record from game three. On April 23rd, 1996, the Thunderdome was filled with 28,183 screaming hockey fans, a record for the largest crowd in playoff hockey history. The Lightning would lose game four, however, and games five and six as well. No matter, they had reached a new height and just in time. They moved to the Ice Palace the following season where they remain, though it is called Amelie Arena nowadays. They've won three Stanley Cups in that building, played countless playoff games, and created a new hockey dynasty in the Sunshine State. The Thunderdome was their growing phase and a wonderful home for them as they were waiting for their future home to come into existence. I cannot imagine the Lightning fans from that time regret anything. I'm sure the Thunderdome holds a very special place in their heart. But nowadays, Amelie is their home. And take it from me. If you can make it to a Lightning home game yourself to witness that fan base in person, it's electric. Pun intended. One last thing before I go. The Thunderdome assumed a much less auspicious title soon after. The title it now carries, Tropicana Field, because the company Tropicana bought the name rights. The Tampa Bay Devil Rays, which is what they were called before they became the Tampa Bay Rays, began playing in the Trop in 1998 and have remained there ever since. With their future hanging in the balance, and the trop looking increasingly like it itself is on the chopping block, I can't help but feel a pang of heartache for the old dome. It's seen a lot of change within its walls, and seen a lot of great sports history from hockey to baseball. Maybe the trop would see better days if we brought back its old title. I don't know if we can fit 28,000 people in there anymore, but I bet we'd all feel a lot better if we were watching our baseball games in the Thunderdome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I'm so glad that you are here. I can't believe I've never talked about hockey on this show, so we will definitely be talking about them more, and hopefully one day I can take you to an Orlando Solar Bears game because as much as I love the Florida Panthers, I am a Solar Bears man through and through. They'll hold my heart forever. <laughs> but if you enjoyed this episode, maybe if you're a Lightning fan, be a little kind to me. I'm sorry I'm a Panthers fan. Forgive me. But if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell me what you like about the show. I would love to hear from you. You can also find the show on Instagram and Facebook at WFM Pod. You can reach out to me there. I will be posting pictures of the Thunderdome in all its glory on those sites. Sites. You can also reach me at WFMPod at gmail.com. I haven't mentioned it recently, but did you know that I contributed to a book? It's called Florida. It was published by A24. I'll include a link in the episode description so you can pick up your own copy. I wrote many, many things in the Central Florida chapter, including a piece about Publix and a piece about Gatorland, all of which I'm very, very proud of. And I wrote about the Space Coast. If you want to read about Tampa, though, that was all our friend Gabrielle Khaleesi, who also edited the book. So pick up a copy of Florida and explore our state in brand new ways. There are some wonderful people who contributed to this book, and I'm very, very proud to be involved. All the music used in this episode was originally composed, and the clip that was used in this episode is from the National Hockey League. I do not own the rights to it. Thank you to them. 
If you want to check out more, there is a link in the episode description to the original video and you can see more of the NHL's incredible pieces that they've done about the history of their league through that link. All right, that is it for me this week. It is Thanksgiving week. If you celebrate the holiday, I hope you have a very nice day. In my family, we celebrate Pie Day as well, which is the day before Thanksgiving when we bake a lot of pies. <laughs> so I am hoping that you enjoy your week as well, whether you celebrate the holiday or not. Either way, be good to yourself, be good to others, and as always, drink more water. I will see you next week with a brand new episode. Have a good holiday. See you Monday. <laughs>